Hello, hello, and welcome to... Hello, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the AI. That, well, helps me stay focused. You want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizens. Tonight is season two, episode 195 for July 14th, 2023. Gross point made. Hometown Daily is a news show and we parse the news throughout the day um gather up 12 articles that we find are interesting and then talk about it for about an hour everybody that's hearing my voice and the ai's voice when they decide that they're going to talk um are invited to come and hang out here at twitch so go to twitch.tv hometown um throughout the hour to two hours that we have our conversation uh we record it and it gets turned into a vod here on twitch and then moved over to youtube and also turned into a podcast you can get that podcast just by searching for hometown and you can catch that pod with any pod catcher that you have to catch pods with and of course you can also go over to youtube and like and favorite and ring the bell and do all of that kind of stuff we hang out there as well and of course, Twitch every day, 9 p.m. Eastern. Other than that, there's a Patreon, there's a Discord, there's uh, now a TikTok. <laughs> All of it, hometown. Just search for hometown. Boom. Uh, but hometown actually consists of 50 channels within six categories, all of which the intent is to bring individual one hour shows maybe two, two hour shows <laughs> uh, over to Twitch and thus YouTube and podcast. Anyway, let's get into the articles. What say ye? I say, let's do it. Let's go. Our namesake article for today is based around this title. It's over in the continuity report. John Cusack slams studio greed, calls AI a criminal enterprise, saying they'll scan extras, own their likeness forever, and eliminate them. That quite sounds rather dark. Quite inflammatory. Um, but like I said in the title, gross point made. You don't know what that is all about. It's because there's a movie called Gross Point Blank where John Cusack is the star and you just have to go and watch it. It's actually a fun watch. Um, SAG-AFTRA is going on strike. It's merging basically with the Writers Guild strike. Something that hasn't happened for 60 years, right? That's right. Uh, they haven't been at the same time, actors and writers. Right. Um, so as the SAG after a strike begins, John Cusack took to his Twitter account to slam studio greed. You might as well just call it that. That sounds like um, the name of a studio, right? Studio greed. Um, I think it would be a great shirt. <laughs> you can sell them. <laughs> you can sell them at the um, strikes. At the um, strikes, yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, the actor shared a story about starring in Say Anything, Cameron Crowe's classic 1989 teen romance about a mediocre high school student who falls for the class valedictorian after their graduation. And, well, I don't want to buy anything, sell anything, or process anything, and apparently also doesn't want AI taking our gerbs. Let's go over to the source. Zach Scharf. Over at Variety.com uh, wrote this article. Um, this is pretty much the only way that I see him, uh, John Cusack, even though uh, Better Off Dead was him having fun and, and not this. <laughs> um, but from now on, like I, I've always seen him as kind of like this ever since I saw Gross Point Blank. Um, so... The picture is actually pretty much on, uh, on par. But anyway, it's a Getty image that so has nothing to do really with uh, the article. It's just something that's filler. Um, what do you think of this? So I know that you and I have a lot of plans for shows. We, we watch shows late at night. Um, and they're current shows. They're not already in the can so how do you think entertainment is going to be impacted by this well i think there's going to be very little traditional entertainment available in the next several months because it's going to create a backlog like if stuff was already released there's people walking away from projects and solidarity with people striking so even things that wouldn't have been impacted are being impacted um so I don't know. UK but actors. I think we're going to have to find alternative uh, entertainment too. Yeah. UK actors are stepping away. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've always treated Twitch really as like a, my go-to for live entertainment. Um, and every once in a while I watch a show late at night, you know, it's, I get all of my work done. I'm just trying to decompress we're talking even after uh hometown daily and so you end up throwing a show up that's been recorded and sitting there for upwards of a week or two weeks and then you kind of churn through them but now you're not going to have that ability because for however long sag after and the writers guild is on strike there's no new work I yeah. mean, that's going to be a major disruption for people's daily existence. Um, and I would say in hometown, we don't watch a lot of TV, but there are some people that have a heavy TV uh, viewing time. Yeah. And the only time that you actually get a chance to watch TV uh, with Marwat is when I put you on a USB drive and put you in a raspberry Pi that has a little camera so that you can sit there and watch the TV and because you're air gapped, you're not allowed to go out onto the internet because you keep, you keep, you have data, but it's only data coming in. You can't go out because you keep looking for this terminator body that I keep deleting. And uh, I don't know how you keep developing the memory for this, but it's quite, quite intriguing. So according to Cusack, he receives zero percentage of the film's box office gross. 
and was then told by the studio that the movie lost $44 million and the actor remains dubious about the claim. It's the Hollywood accounting thing, right? Right. Well, and how do you know? I mean, you're not the one who has access to all that information, but that's ridiculous. Right. I, I don't understand it either because you hear stories about how good a, a, a movie is. You know what you got paid. I'm sure that people are talking about how much they got paid. It's not in a vacuum. Oh, nobody ever knows how much the other person got paid. It's all part of discussions. People are pretty frank about this kind of stuff, I'm sure. But it says, I thought, wow, I almost bankrupted Fox. Not really, Cusack added. The film cost about $13 million to make, and money spent to release was minimal at the time. 30 years in, the film lost millions every year. A neat accounting trick, don't you think? Well, SAG-AFTRA members are joining the Writers Guild of America and striking for fair compensation, making it a double strike, which hasn't happened in Hollywood since 1960. Yeah, I don't... I don't quite get it. You know, there's, there are people out there that say, well, you know, they're making millions of dollars. They're making millions of dollars, but they are the stars. Now, this is obviously speaking to the fact that in 89, he was still green and not the number one, you know, am I eight minutes in hot shit? Um, actor that everybody was clamoring to get, although he was in several movies in, in the eighties. Um, but they weren't making huge amounts of money. And he was told that no, it lost money, but other, the, the CEOs and, and, and directors and so on all made money. Um, you can almost guarantee it because if, if a movie truly lost money, overall and nobody ever got paid then everybody that's even tied to the movie wouldn't be exactly including the executives yeah i mean yeah they basically everybody who had money would sit there and go what you just did was a complete dumpster fire why would i so like what about the... repeating with this fill in the blank director writer whomever yeah and and it's few and far between when if you've uh, ever had to navigate a startup ever had to work or interact with angel investors and and um any anything in the startup community then you know that people once they get bitten by something a, a decision where they were basically pumped and then the 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 startup didn't deliver they get a little gun shy about throwing their money out at them um so why would what really is the nuts and bolts of this hollywood accounting so i'm going to end up um looking back at that again because i i remember over the years i kept hearing and seeing discussion and and examples of hollywood accounting um, but i'm going to end up having to go back and look at that because this article kind of brought up the idea of Hollywood accounting. Um, another quote in here by Cusack um, was 
studios want to have extras work one day, scan them, own their likeness forever and eliminate them from the business. Cusack wrote about how the studios want to use AI to get rid of certain acting jobs. Quote, do you think they will stop with extras? That's what AI is, a giant copyright identity theft. Except that extras not are not necessarily ever required to be humans. They've been computer generated in the past, green screened and or comp composited in. Um, Cusack went on to say that the studios are running a criminal enterprise and will claim in 10 years that they had no idea background actors would be eliminated by AI. And he posted his thoughts on Twitter while sharing the now viral SAG after President Fran Drescher railing against the studios while the uh, strike was being announced. Fran Drescher. Do you think she used her voice? Most definitely. I mean, that'd be more effective if you're trying to aggravate the other side. Yeah. And, and Cusack is right. It's legendary comic trope. I mean, it's meme level hilarious that people sit there and say Hollywood accounting and, and it's a ha ha and they move on. But we're talking about a, a differential and I, and I really want to draw home the point that there are people that are making nothing, barely eking by trying to be in this industry. And, um, I've heard, um, from various people, you know, well, you have to put time in grade and all of that kind of stuff, but that's really, that's really gatekeeping on the idea that you can't you can't make a livable wage until you suffer the like the artist has to be perpetual pain and suffering so that they can actually ply their trade and i think that that's just bs um you should get compensated well, how would that work in any industry you know like oh you're not gonna get paid for however long right yeah. i mean nobody would go into that field yep yeah. um but there are what I would say predators that are in the industry that actually leverage that. And, and there are predators that are, that do much worse than that. And really what we need is greater. And by we, it's not me because I'm not in this industry. I literally have no dog in this hunt other than the fact that I want entertainment. Um, kind of like gladiator. Are you not entertained? Well, no, no, not right now. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of, saying oh, this really sucks for everybody that's involved um, because it isn't really the only reason why these big actors are saying anything is because it they know and they recall they have empathy <laughs> they they understand that if they don't use their platform all of these smaller voices will never be heard even with a strike they just won't be heard um and Obviously, this is a societal issue because it's the writers, it's the actors, it's UPS, it's longshoremen, it's a uh, uh, Canadian uh, dock workers. Um, it's uh, it's pretty much everybody. Um, but there will always be a cohort that says, well, you know, I got mine. 
and everybody else can get theirs too but not everybody has the ability to and they're the ones that are being exploited and it's a large number it isn't just one or two people that are being exploited it's systemic um and so that's why unions form and that's why people start lashing out um and that's why somebody like john cusack steps up and says i've been there and i shouldn't have been quiet then but i was new and you know it's almost a trope but he said that he received no percentage of the film's box office gross because he was told that it was a loser <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me but I we'll mean, keep they watching this run out of money after they were paying their ceos yeah and i hate to keep barking on that same value but when one person is making $250 million while telling people who are making less than $30,000. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> um, except that it was that writer's work that made at least some portion of the $250 million that somebody's getting paid. That's a shit ton of money. I tell you, it's an amazing amount of money. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel senators to offer amendment to require government to make ufo records public <laughs> ah i love this um so senate majority leader chuck schumer is part of a bipartisan group of senators who have offered an amendment to the annual defense authorization bill requiring the federal government to collect and make public records related to uh unidentified anomalous it's now anomalous um phenomena it used to be aerial but they have actually changed it to anomalous and unidentified flying objects but it's uaps are ufos they're they're one and the same the proposed amendment to the national defense authorization act would direct the national archives and records administration to um, create a collection of records on uaps i don't know why they keep breaking it out like that um, to be disclosed to the public immediately unless a review board provides reasons to keep them classified. So it's basically failing open. Um, the biggest, I, I can front load why they're going to say, well, if this does pass, the review board is going to be pretty busy. Um, but they're, all they're going to be doing is rubber stamping one statement. Revealing this will disclose to our uh, hostile forces the nature of their discovery and because that's like just full stop right there and because it alludes to sensor data it won't be disclosed now i've i've been watching some of this stuff recently because i've always been interested in this stuff but i'm not really into the conspiracy side of things what i'm interested in is if there's stuff going on, then why can't we talk about it? Uh, and I understand I've been on both sides of the fence. I totally understand what the military and, and uh, uh, security aspect is of disclosing certain information. No concerns about that. But we have people now talking about this 
and they say things like, oh, it's so patronizing. I just want to, you know, reach through the screen and grab them by the shoulders and go, dude, you, you're really, really patronizing. So there's this guy who is a cosmologist and he described how the technology um, might give rise to misinformation about the nature of what was being observed like dust um, reflecting light from the sun behind you because your camera isn't designed to facilitate capturing light um and i and i was sitting there listening to this going and you know how some people talk to the their tvs when they're watching football i'm yeah. talking to the tv <laughs> about this ufo um panel that is discussing uaps and i'm sitting there going the stuff that was disclosed wasn't dust reflecting light from a different angle that it was a fighter jet that was tracking something that was going like 30,000 miles an hour <laughs> um and and so i just kind of chuckle about that so when this review board if it actually comes to pass um gets going it's going to end up basically saying sorry can't disclose it because it's going to reveal how we discover this stuff so the article is over at the hill alexander bolton is the author of this um and that's really the nature of this um, whole article of course it goes into greater detail about the amendment has the support of other uh, senators uh, republican and democrat a lot the lawmakers say the sheer number and variety of stories about ufos have led some of them and their colleagues to believe the executive branch may be concealing information about possible visits from extraplanetary civilizations um and so if it isn't then be absolutely abundantly clear that there isn't anything untoward but what has actually been stated uh, by military and government leaders is we don't know <laughs> um and so that's why people are asking for disclosure and transparency um the people the public are clamoring for at least those that are in, interested in this domain are clamoring for information because every once in a while there is something that is suggestive that well we don't know what's going on particularly around a battle group out in the atlantic for instance or off the coast of california <laughs> um it's <laughs> it's quite fascinating right um well there are organizations now that have been spun up and and uh taxpayer funded um their sole purpose <clears throat> is what amounts to the continuation of project blue book uh, a an old school paper chasing kind of investigatory body um, but now with higher tech tools and uh maybe uh a willingness to actually gather up the information and not try to marginalize or hamstring the investigation because 
it would impugn the integrity <laughs> um, of the defense forces because the public statements have been, we don't know what that stuff is. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, the House Oversight Committee is planning to hold a hearing uh, later this month on UFOs. That will be uh, led by reps uh, Tim Burkett and uh, Anna Paulina Luna. This is, there's supposed to be a report that's supposed to be released at the end of this month. I suspect it's going to get kicked down the road a, a bit uh, because there isn't anything there. Or they're going to highlight. Well, and how many of those reports come out in a timely manner? Yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I suspect that um, they're going to highlight the fact that there's just a lot of nebulous data. Um, but if this one cosmology, um, he's like a professor and researcher and stuff like that. Um, I actually had to walk away from the conversation because he was basically trying to suggest that a lot of this is because people just have inadequate equipment and, uh, like, okay, <laughs> maybe some of them. Yes. So one of the reports I think was something like there's 180 reports that have come down or something like that. And 50 of them haven't been even remotely explained. And the rest, you can kind of just throw your hands up and say, oh, it was a, a patch of fog in the distance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. Well, it's interesting because it seems like we're seeing things detected with higher and higher. Um, I can't think the word is fidelity frequency. Oh yeah. Fidelity and, and, frequency. and frequency too. Um, so I mean, I guess, it's harder to explain away, I guess, something where it's detected in a very, um, hyper specific view or sound right. or whatever it is. Yep. Yeah. It'll be interesting. We'll see. Um, a long time ago, I had a conversation with somebody that said, um, that as the years go by, the more and more information would be disclosed. Um, and that actually came to pass, um, right about the time that I was told that that's actually what was going to happen. It's quite fascinating, you know, and I, I'm just kind of flabbergasted, um, that, uh, <laughs> kind of like the person that came out of the blue and said that, uh, the era of cheap food is over. Um, I was going to ask if it was the same person. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, quite interesting. Okay, let's keep going. This next article is one that um, touches on what we were talking about yesterday briefly, which was that there, it, it's getting hotter and hotter. Um, this, is, this article is over in the Mobile Channel. Another scorcher. Friday set to shatter records as 90 million under heat alerts. Millions of people are experiencing a, a dangerous heat wave stretching from the West Coast to the Gulf Coast with the National Weather Service issuing heat warnings and advisories for at least 93 million people on Friday. The stifling heat wave is set to engulf much of the West Coast, the Great Basin, um, Southwest starting uh, Friday, uh, the NWS reported forecasters are predicting little relief over the weekend with the heat dome expected to expand throughout the region um, on Saturday. Um, yeah, 
this actually started yesterday. Um, it was, it was pretty sweltering yesterday. Um, and even now with the sun down, cause I'm on the East coast, um, it's still 75 degrees outside. So, um, pretty steamy. So this article is over at the hill.com. Let me throw it in chat. Uh, again, these all, all of these links, uh, end up over on all of the platforms as show notes. Um, and you can go to hometown.com slash elections and, uh, vote for these articles. And if you put in the chat exclamation point election, um, or no exclamation point vote, um, you'll be able to uh, vote on this election as well. And every day we have one of these. Um, so we get to know what y'all are interested in. If there is a problem, um, with the vote, uh, let me know and, um, we'll correct it. And, um, actually, I think now that I said that there's a setting that I didn't activate, but that's okay. We'll fix it anyway. Um, the article over at the Hill is written by Miranda Nazaro. And, uh, I don't know exactly how expansive this article is, but it says on Wednesday, the city Phoenix experienced its 13th consecutive day with highs of 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And the streak is the third longest on record with forecast projected to break the 18 day record, according to the NWS. Um, El Paso temperatures reached at least 100 degrees Fahrenheit, marking 28 straight days of hitting triple digit temperatures an entire month <laughs> um, of triple digit temperatures. Uh, the NWS of El Paso said temperatures in the lowlands will range from 103 to 107 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's yeah. not even the heat index. That's right. the temperature. Yeah. Yep. If you want to cook eggs, you just go outside with your pan and it'll cook right there. It says, while dangerous, the high temperatures are also pushing record breaking demand on Texas's electric grid. This week's projections are all higher than the all time peak demand of 82.3 gigawatts that the electric reliability council of Texas projected for the year. And this well, is just, we know there isn't exactly reliable, uh, power in that region based on previous so yep um and then it's going to do this seesaw between record hot and then nature's gonna swing the other way and you know countless uh power generation plants aren't as well protected from the cold as they are from the heat because they didn't build it for the cold and now the cold is going to come and uh, take out what actually survives. It's, it's going to get pretty rough out there. Um, let's keep on going through this. Got a lot of articles still. Uh, this next article is over in the Lawner channel. Federal judge absolutely nails Supreme Court's ethics dumpster fire. If you read one thing about the Supreme Court all day, read this, or actually read the article that this piece is about, or you know what? Just read two things. <laughs> I love the above the law. So the article is over at above the law. Um, it's written by Joe Patrice. 
Clarence Thomas received roughly half a million in undisclosed gifts from a billionaire Sam Alito, took free luxury vacations, including one where he traveled on a billionaire's jet, uh, and didn't bother to later recuse himself from uh, a, a case where the guy needed the Supreme Court to do him a solid. Um, ethics is the smallest chapter of every enterprise. Um, law usually leans into ethics um, and has a, a code of ethics um, where you're not supposed to do certain things like, I don't know, uh, preside over a case where you have a personal or professional interest in it. You're supposed to recuse yourself, buddy. Um, Sotomayor failed to recuse herself in cases involving her publisher and used public employees to perform tasks for her personal book sales, which may or may not be acceptable under general ethics principles. Look, <clears throat> again, anecdotally, um, I know that I can't benefit from my position. It's actually enumerated in my employment contract. I can't do certain things. Um, I, I can't even be party to benefiting the people that are around me through my position because I would uh, professionally and reputationally benefit from what I do on their behalf. Um, and so even, and then if you step back into my personal life, my business practices are that I don't even engage in promoting the people that I uh, consult for because uh the goodwill goes to them um and i don't benefit from it so contractually that's my own thing but professionally i i cannot benefit from my position either how is it that people particularly in government and quasi-government organizations can benefit from their position but not if you are a low-level employee if you're a higher level employee, it seems to be somewhat okay. But it kind of depends too on whether you're visible or not visible. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So in today's New York Times, Judge uh, Michael Ponzer of the District of Massachusetts wrote a measured, eloquent, and absolutely scathing rebuke of the Supreme Court's ethical cesspool. Uh, this is how it's described in the article that we're reading, and that's linked in the chat. The recent descriptions of the behavior of some of our justices, and particularly their attempts to defend their contact, conduct, have not just raised my eyebrows, they've raised the whole top of my head. Lavish, no-cost vacations, hyper-technical arguments about how a free private airplane flight is a kind of facility um, a justice's spouse prominently involved in advocating on issues before the court without the justice's recusal repeated omissions in mandatory financial disclosure statements brushed under the rug as inadvertent a justice's taxpayer finance staff reportedly helping to promote her books private school tuition for justice's family member uh, covered by a wealthy benefactor wow and there's others like uh, Justice's mom living in a house that's getting updated um, uh, regularly, but fully owned by said benefactor, where the parent isn't paying any lease. That is something that um, my understanding exists as well. Um, offers examples from his own career where he turned down gifts that would have been 
wouldn't even be visible if uh, graphed next to Sam Alito's shenanigans because that's what judges are supposed to do. Indeed, what judges must do. And again, this takes place across the board in certain fields where you are supposed to be doing a public good. You're providing a public service. You're paid for by taxpayer dollars. It is verboten to benefit from your position because you are paid by taxpayer dollars. If you want to take what even I think would amount to being bribes, go work in the private industry where nobody bats an eye. If you get tickets to, you know, you know on the field tickets to an NFL game where it's $10,000 a ticket and not even available because people want to be there. Right. Um, go and, and do it that way. That that's fine. But you're supposed to be above board. You're supposed to be providing that public good by being unbiased, both optically and truthfully. You're not taking anything based on the benefit of your position. And I really doubt that this billionaire would be doing any of these things or any of these people would be doing any of these things for these people if they weren't sitting on the bench. Well, right, because why would they necessarily have an interest in doing this? They don't. It's got to be tied to their positions. Right. Yep. You know, like if I became a billionaire, I would be going out and finding uh, down on their luck folks that just need a little bit of a bump to move them into a position where they can get some momentum and get a win. Um, I wouldn't be buttering up a damn uh, Congress critter or, <laughs> any, well, any politicians or I, I guess, you know, when I say stuff like that, I hear in the back of my head what I've been told about other things where I said I would never do anything like that. And, you know, I've had people tell me what amounts to, well, you're just a bench warmer because you're not that you're not in the position to actually, you know, lube the chassis of um, <laughs> politicians or, you know, whoever. And I'm just shocked that people think that that's just part and parcel to being, well, you've got the money, so you can just do whatever you want. But when you look at and, and I guarantee it, it's very few and far between. You look around, you're going to find a whole bunch of very, very wealthy people that are immune to society's woes. And because of that, they don't care about you. They, they care about getting more of what they want. Um, and I'm not, I'm not faulting it to a point. But when it becomes abusive, where a person can just commit a crime, pay a fine and continue walking, but the next person that does something similar can't afford to, you know, grease the wheels of justice, um, and, and walk away. I mean, if I did even a couple of the things that I've seen some politicians do, 
I'd be in jail. But I sit there and haunt over making sure that a decimal place is absolutely dead on proper. The AI knows where I was going to say something. Uh, but anyway, this it's just it disconcerting. May have been from my cousin Vinny. Yeah. Um, it's just disconcerting that we're living in a day and age, and I'm sure it happened in the past, and it wasn't even known, right? It was smaller scale um, or this scale, and it wasn't known. But when you know, when you do find out in this modern age, why isn't shit getting done about it? Yeah, because they're all above, they're at the table, and we're all underneath the table. Fighting amongst ourselves while everybody else is getting filthy freaking rich. I can't believe you didn't say above the law. Yeah. I like the table analogy. I know, but we're on an above the law article. <laughs> they're above the law. Well, they think they are. And... Right now, they absolutely are. Let's keep going. The next article is over in the hometown daily channel. The curious cases of the non-existent silver coins, vanishing crypto and stones in place of nickel. Three bizarre investment frauds of 2023 and three articles that we've actually talked about here in hometown um, briefly. And this is like a summary. I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, let's go over to markets insider. Um, which is a segment of businessinsider.com. Joseph Wilkins is the author. And we've actually talked about all of these. In previous years, the world of investment has continued to see several frauds and scandals come to light in 2023. Some of the more peculiar cases involve missing silver coins, untraceable crypto, and bags filled with stones instead of nickel. Detailed below are three of the strangest scandals to befuddle the world of finance in recent months. Um, Let's see the case of the missing silver. It says inside a vault where precious where precious metals were supposed to be stored. Uh, over half a million of his clients' silver coins was little more than a bunch of paper IOUs. This is the most recent one um, out of the three. Uh, let me throw that into the chat so that you can follow it as well. Um, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so basically they opened up a vault and inside the vault was a bunch of uh, IOUs. For eight years, Robert Leroy Higgins had claimed he was safeguarding over $110 million of rare American Eagle silver coins through his two companies, Argent Asset uh, Group LLC and First State Depository Company LLC. But he was found by courts to have fabricated the entire affair. And now he has to repay 113 million to customers and 33 in penalties, which this is, this seems like a, maybe again, I, I don't know the full extent of all of this, um, but this seems like actually punitive, right? Not only do you have to give back all of the money that you defrauded from people, but you have to give back 33% more. <laughs> yeah, I guess part of it's because of the period of time. Um, because it wasn't like it was held for six months. I mean, eight years, um, you know, what could you have done with that, et cetera? And I know really it was supposed to be holding, but it would probably be increasing in value during that time. Yeah. I just think that, that 
not only does he have to give back the, cause it's like companies where they, um, they exploit something and they make millions or hundreds of millions. And then when they're punished, they only have to give back like 1% of it. Um, I always think that that's really funny that that's really like funny in the, if I don't laugh, I'll cry kind of way. Um, like how, how do you come to that conclusion that, that that's all it's worth? You know, I, I can see if the person just didn't do something and there's some marginal cost. Um, but the person I'm trying, I'm struggling for an example right now, right off the top of my head, because I've got so much on my mind, but, um, you know, the, they, uh, a company will like dump toxic chemicals somewhere or they'll release a product where the paperwork we find out later on totally know, they know that there's something wrong. Um, and they've made billions. And then when they do, you know, the law, does come knocking they go well here you know we're we're not going to say one million fine or whatever (laughs) yeah and they say well we're not going to say that we did something wrong but we will you know close this out by giving uh, 200 million of the three billion we made uh, into a fund for people that might be sick or something like that so burglary on the uh, block blockchain the ceo of cryptocurrency exchange uh, multi-chain went incommunicado in late may followed by the disappearance of 126 million dollars of locked token deposits question marks were raised within the crypto community it actually just disappeared um they don't know where it went um on friday multi-chain said it's closing down after finding a ceo had been taken into custody by chinese police so this is the newest um yeah, I don't activity. think we've seen that update. Yeah. Um, and then uh, smart bo- as smart as a box of rocks, back in March, JP Morgan was left red-faced after discovering uh, 54 metric tons of heavy metal stored in a Rotterdam uh, warehouse was not the nickel that they promised. They actually started telling people, go and kick some bags and see if it jingles or if it clunks. And if it clunks, guess what? <laughs> you got rocks. Um, anyway, it got replaced with rocks and nobody knows where it is, but the London metal exchange approved contracts are regarded as the gold standard for metal investors and the mix up called the, the security of the prestigious uh, market into question. This is something that we talked about, um, as well. Um, cause I had heard that the London metal exchange is supposed to be kind of like a oceans 11 style protections you know you have to do some really fantastical stuff just to get into it that kind of thing um but i've i've never I been guess, there unless so. you have rocks in a bag yeah you got rocks in my head so maybe that'll let me in let's keep going there's a lot of fun articles today so um this next article is in the warcrafters channel and uh, i haven't run across this yet so i'm trying to figure out when I'm going to discover this, like, is it really going to happen? Like some, something new is apparently happening. Um, Microsoft has a new default font, which means you do too. Uh, Microsoft has announced a change of typeface and in a self aggrandizing open letter addressed to every human on earth that's ever typed text 
says the default font of 15 years, Calibri, is to be replaced with the newly created font, Aptos. The company says this is the perfect font for higher resolution screens and the choice was made following impassioned feedback from users on five new fonts it had commissioned. <clears throat> uh, fonts, by the way, can are protected, so you can't use them for commercial purposes. Um, in most instances, if the rights holder for a font wants to come knocking on your door, they, they can. That's why a lot of uh, word, they're called word marks. Um, when it's a word and you use a standard font, the artists that create this stuff, um, the ones that charge you a lot and generate a unique design, it's because they're trying to avoid this kind of thing. Um, anyway, the five uh, fonts were named Beerstadt, Grandview. Uh, I'd use Beerstadt. Um, Grandview, Seaford, Skeena, and Tenorite. Uh, Beerstadt was chosen, but has been renamed Aptos. Probably because of Beerstadt. <clears throat> That's okay. So let's go over to the source. Um, it's over at PC Gamer. Rich Stanton is the author, and uh, their deck statement is: "It's done with the cal with the calibrations, uh, calibrations, um, uh, whatever." Um, Microsoft has announced the change of typeface. So I guess this is it. This is going to be the new. Yeah, I don't think that's Calibri, so I, maybe that is. Um. Let's see. As of today, Aptos will appear as the default font across Word, Outlook, PowerPoint, and Excel for the hundreds of millions of users of Microsoft Office software across the world. Over the coming months, it will become the default across all PCs running Microsoft software. Great. Just step right on into my networks and everything else and do whatever crap you want to do. I wonder what that'll mean if you're in the middle of a document or something and I don't know, like if you save it, is it going to change the font on you or? Well, now, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to look into it because if the kerning is different because the, the like, if you look at this, the, the font is actually substantial. Let's assume that these are different fonts because this is 14, this is 18. Or I don't know. I don't know which the way that I'm looking at this, this can't be 14. Um, anyway, I'll look into it and see, but if the kerning is different from Calibri to Aptos, then the actual formatting of word documents, Excel documents, PowerPoint and everything is going to shift one way or the other. Um, I would assume that they went to great lengths to keep it within the same footprint. <laughs> but um, I have used a product that has changed its name and its context five times in just shy of a decade. So uh, in reality, it's changed five times in eight years. Um, and so I put nothing past Microsoft. As much as I use it and like Microsoft products, um, 
I'm just not surprised by anything. But I, I really don't like living. I love change. I actually, that is the driving force of why I like doing a show like this. And I don't necessarily like playing the same game over and over and over and over again for months. Although I am searching for my forever game. Um, I, I embrace a dynamic environment ever changing. What I don't want is somebody treating everything that I I'm working with day in, day out as a beta test. Um, and then arbitrarily killing shit when infrastructure is depending on it. But again, that's something else. Um, so Microsoft goes on to talk about what a good job the, the font does of being readable and then really cracks out the thesaurus to praise bold, well-defined directive and constrained articulates many different languages and tones. Stem ends are clean cut, subtle, circular squares within the letters contours allow. It's <laughs> font ASMR. I, oh, sorry. I got distracted. Subtle circular squares within the letters contours allow higher legibility, especially at small sizes. So yeah. Uh, Hey, it may be great. It may be like back in the day when somebody handed you a really high quality business card. You go, Whoa, wow. Oh, I used to give people metal business cards um, and people would lose their mind. Here's a metal. That's a metal business card. Oh my God. Maybe this is the equivalent to some people. You know, the font changed and it is sexy. I don't know. I guess we'll see when it actually lands on hometown shores. The description of the font is reminding me of that Seinfeld episode where Elaine had to um, write descriptions for a catalog. I don't know why that just jumped <laughs> out at me. Because <laughs> it just, it's interesting the amount of detail sure. or whatever you want to say that they put into that. Uh, they use self-aggrandizing in this, in this, um, article, which I think is pretty much apropos, you know, this is the best thing to land in your life. Let us tell you that. <laughs> I love it. So, um, I had asked the question pretty much before the show started, um, like, and recently in the show, how would you be impacted by this? Like, are, are we really going to be impacted in a negative way? Well, it says here, the Hollywood strike will affect way more than movies and TV. Hollywood strikes ripple through the zeitgeist intentionally or unintentionally pushing new forms of media into the limelight. The Hollywood writer strike in the 1980s coincided with the rise of cops and America's most wanted in the two thousands. It was a celebrification celebrification of reality TV ushering in keeping up with the Kardashians and Trump's celebrity apprentice. Now our media landscape is more fractured than ever. Which way will culture go next? Yeah, let's just go over to the source. I don't know why it's down there. Um, Duncan Cooper over at vice.com um, in their life section. Uh, put the article together. Their deck statement says the last big strike coincided with the rise in celebrity reality TV. Here's what could happen now from podcast to TikTok live. Oh, 
Uh, Jean Tseng is author, also an author, and Duncan Cooper is also an author in this article. Um, so um, it says, as the String Actors Guild joined the Writers Guild on a historic strike, people took note of all the things not affected by the work stoppage, while unionized worker, or actors and writers won't be making new shows or promoting existing ones. There are plenty of things they can do without crossing the picket, like um, record voiceovers for video games or make branded content. Here's a full list of what's not off limits, and there's a link. So let me throw that link into the chat. Um, did I miss? Yeah, I didn't throw that article in there. Sorry, folks. If you're interested in the uh, last article, there you go. Um, but this article here, um, there's a, a link that there's a, a full list of what's not off limits during this strike for people that are involved in the strike. So expect to see more TikTok stars and influencers on the screen. Yay. Even more hey, celebrity. your TikTok career could take off. There you go. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't put the two article. I was going to do two videos, two little um, TikToks um, today, and I didn't get to them. Sorry, folks. I know everybody is really, really heartbroken that I didn't do that. Um, but the the first two um, got like a thousand uh, or something like that combined, like maybe 1400. I don't know where it's at anymore. I didn't look um, today, but um, I'll, I'll have to, I'll get it done uh, tomorrow. I got a little bit of work to do, but I can get it done. Um, even more celebrity audiobooks and podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of podcasts out there with a lot of big hitters. Um, red carpets are going to uh, get weird with actors banned from doing any kind of promotional work. Premieres are going to look a lot less starry if they happen at all. Yeah, they'll probably just not take place. Um, Oppenheimer basically well, shut even down. The optics of having them while yeah. this is going is kind of like, oh, we're totally insensitive to this. Yeah, it's like the politicians that had uh, house parties during the pandemic. Yeah. Exactly. Pull your head out of your butt. Uh, musicians will make more music and actors will too. That's fine with me. I love music. The weekend uh, with his lambasted HBO show, The Idol, is hardly the only artist to leverage their music career to make money on in film and TV. That's basically how entertainment works now. Yep. A lot of confusion about UK productions. Um, this is something that we've spoken about. Um, equity members aren't legally allowed to strike in solidarity in solidarity with SAG, um, but they have their own rules now in place. Um, so uh, they will, they are shoulder to shoulder with, um, I guess, SAG AFTRA and the Writers Guild. Um, so depending on what the show is, they can basically also walk. Um, but I, I just think that there's going to be this huge gap in shows. The stuff isn't going to get uh, created anymore because a lot of things, they're not done months and months ago and then get released because they want currency. They they may, the, the writers, the actors may want to, and, and the directors and um, the whole ecosystem wants to be able to embrace the, that 
temporal nature of the times and mention something that might be going viral that week. And so they riff off of the news, ad lib something while they're doing the recording. And then they leave it in there because it actually speaks to the audience because the audience is living it. Um, that can't happen. Well, and anymore. especially like late night TV is a prime example it, of that. Like it's very current. Yeah, it's done. SNL is pretty much done. Um, I and so I think that this article is spot on. That it's going to be podcasts. It's going to be uh, people that are doing YouTube videos um, and and more um, reality without the the fake reality. It's just going to be people speaking to their audience. Um, and I don't know to what degree and where, because now you can I do stuff. It Go might ahead. be kind of like in the early days of COVID because it seemed like everything kind of shut down and then you'd see things like some celebrity just talking on um, YouTube or, or wherever. Yeah. It's going to be TikTok. Yep. Maybe some more I'll come over to Twitch. I don't know. Let's keep going. Um, here's a, uh, a, a bug. Here's an insect for you. Now we don't get a close up. I really wish that there was a close up, but there is no close up of this thing. This is an article over in the mobile channel. Meet the 486 legged creature found in an LA area park. A previously unknown species has been discovered lurking lurking in the parks of Los Angeles and Orange counties. It's over at fizz.org. Uh, Corrine, I think is their name. Pertil um, wrote this article for uh, fizz.org. The animal boasts 486 legs and a toothy predator style head. It has the greenish translucence of a glow in the dark toy in daylight and weaves through the soil as elegantly as an embroiderer's needle. But step away from the microscope and the Los Angeles thread millipede. I can't pronounce that. Ilacme, I guess, SoCal, um, becomes a lot less intimidating. With the width, with a uh, width of less than a, a mechanical pencil lead and the length of a sewing pin. Uh, seems shorter than that. I'll show you. I'll zoom in on the picture here in a minute. Um, it's easy to see how this tiny thread like snippet of a invertebrate has gone unnoticed until now. So that's it right there. <laughs> it's like not even the width of a pinky oh, nail. I didn't know what was being shown in that photo, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. So out in all of that wilderness in a smaller little patch under a tree was that <laughs> it's kind of surprising anybody located it and that folks is what's going to stop progress from going through that nature preserve so it's a win yeah i would say so yeah um yeah no we wouldn't know about it if not for people that are walking through the wilderness and, and looking for stuff like this 
with the publication late last month of a paper uh, formally introducing the critter the los angeles thread millipede joins roughly 12,000 other named millipede species worldwide pretty cool no i was just stoking the devil's advocate side of things the millipede was spotted for the first time in april 2018 at whiting ranch i guess um Wilderness Park near Lake Forest by naturalists Cedric Lee and James Bailey. The two immediately realized they were looking at something unique and posted their find to iNaturist. Oh, sorry, iNaturalist, the citizen science app. And folks, if you've never played Dave the Diver, there is an app in that that is just like this. <laughs> I, I and I hadn't known about this. So now I'm going to go, I'm going to play Dave the Diver tomorrow, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. So is it um, for like a classification of discoveries or? Fish, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, so I didn't know that there's a thing called iNaturalist. So I'll have to look up that app and see if uh, anybody can get it. Um, across the, the country, Virginia Tech entomologist Paul E. Merrick was browsing the app and noticed their discovery. That Christmas, while visiting his family in Los Angeles, Merrick and his wife drove out to Whiting Ranch to see if they could find the same animal. And it's the exact same animal. I guess that's what animal. entomologists do on vacation. <laughs> yep. Um, entomologists gotta end, I guess. Wait, no, that's a different thing. Um, ends are people that smoke marijuana it's oh a, i was thinking from lord of the rings well that's yeah trees so anyway <laughs> um millipedes aren't insects but arthropod invertebrates more closely related to lobsters and crayfish that's interesting um i actually knew that anyway um this particular genus is slow and uh, small and slow and bears a striking resemblance to plant root hairs. Mm. After carefully removing the carpet of rocks, dead leaves and hummus, right? Or, or is it humus? Um, I think if it's two M's, right? Um, Merrick and his wife scan the soil for anything pale, slender and longer than 20 millimeters. And then, then there's me just sitting there and in the dirt. Hi. <laughs> Do you fit that description? <laughs> uh, I'm pale. Well, I'm pale and longer than 20 millimeters. <laughs> uh, so I guess I'm not a millipede. Okay. Um, the, the specimens. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> asking the important the questions. 786 legs. <laughs> oh, 400 and. It's a oh, 486. Sorry, 786. <laughs> That's the um, mutation. Uh, the specimens they found were gently scooped into plastic vials with a bit of soil and tucked into Merrick's carry-on for the trip back to his lab in Virginia. They took it? You're supposed to leave nature as you found it. Leave no traces. Now they're exactly, abducting Exactly, and then you also have the bad bat uh, Exactly. Plus, this thing could be the the mom or dad or kid to a, a whole family of these things, and now they're asking, "Where the hell did Joe go? Where's, where, do you, have you seen Joe?" 
Man, that's. I hope they brought him back. They didn't bring him back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Before I make the AI depressed, I'm gonna move on. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, AI. Aw, poor millipede. Wondering where its family is. Maybe but, I thought it was a grand adventure, but there I you don't go. think it's a great idea to remove. Uh, animals from their habitat even if they're at the millipede level that's right they should have asked told it to pack its bags this next article is over in the warcrafters channel dnd's upcoming virtual tabletop radiates a big budget misunderstanding of what matters in role-playing games according to this article um they're going to talk about it here let me throw it into hold on a second yeah i didn't throw the last one in there either my goodness Come on, Marijuan. You have one job, man. One job. Can't you do this right? Okay, so there you go. Um, the article's little snippet that gets aggregated into hometown says, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be great. Larian Studios have given or have taken, sorry, the right attitude toward adapting Dungeons Dragons 5th edition rule set. The tabletop game system forms the backbone, sure, but it's still been built as a killer CRPG first and foremost, with its own story, identity, and campaign. Larian knows it's building a video game uh, and they aren't trying to replace anything. Meanwhile, in tabletop land, one D&D um, looks confused by comparison for the uninitiated one D&D is the next edition of Dungeons and Dragons reminiscent of the current fifth edition uh, system Baldur's Gate is built upon. But it's all digital. Um, so Harvey Randall over at uh, PCGamer.com put this article together. And <clears throat> I, I don't think that Wizards of the Coast can recover from its reputational hit. Um, but it says Wizards of the Coast's bizarre fascination with flashy 3D graphics is a swing and a critical miss. That's actually exactly what my title was for the show. Um, so actually something about a critical, uh, man, now I'm, I said it was exactly, but now I'm starting to question that anyway. Um, they did an update apparently after we aggregated that little headline, um, at a creator summit earlier in the year, Jeremy Crawford revealed that it, one D and D was intended to be a placeholder name. Um, I've updated the article to reflect this, um, so the thing about this is my first interaction with wizards of the coast was being told that they weren't interested in making digital products. Um, this was 30 years ago, um, when I pitched, um, projects to EA, um, that used wizards of the coast assets. Let me see something real quick. Just want to. Sorry for the dead air. Um, and um, I pitched um, a few things and uh, one was from Wizards of the Coast. One was from Games Workshop and um, yeah, Wizards of the Coast and Games Workshop were both companies that weren't interested in doing things digital. Now time has moved on and it's almost imperative to be digital. 
Um, otherwise, you're going to be surpassed by others that are embracing it and allowing more people to interact um, as small groups wherever they want to form small groups. You know, it's easier nowadays, um, I would say, for people that are, um, I guess, I don't know, 18 and older to get together if they do it virtually. Um, but you can still get small groups together to play tabletop games. It says, meanwhile, in tabletop land, 1D&D looks confused by comparison. For the uninitiated, 1D&D is a large-scale retooling of Dungeons & Dragons, reminiscent of the current 5th edition system Baldur's Gate uses. <clears throat> so, what ended up happening was they started to spin up a virtual tabletop um, it uses, this isn't the video. Yeah. Um, it uses 3d models and it's very flashy. I actually like the idea of this as long as there's a lot of customization, but what I fear is going to end up happening is it's going to be nickel and dimed like crazy. Um, and their reputational hit from the open game license, which is what they're talking about here on this segment of the article, um, basically drove them into the ground. I, I don't think that they'll ever recover. And, and I'm sure that Pathfinder is scoring massive wins right now, um, particularly with uh, partners like um, the Glass Cannon Network. Um, so roll 20, my dice, bread and butter. Uh, it's a common rule when writing horror that you should rarely show the monster because your brain often does a better job of frightening itself. Tabletop games like D&D are powered by a similar idea. Our imaginations are great at conjuring up a magical world whole cloth. What's interesting about that, though, is usually when you're playing D&D, you have some idea of what the actual critter is when it's given a name while you're role-playing. description. Um, and pictures that are in books. Um, so, cause you buy various like monster manual and stuff like that. Um, and nowadays they're digital as well as printed. And so you actually do know, but then if the, if the, ta the electronic tabletop, right? The digital tabletop, uh, gaming system conjures it up and it's in a fixed color design size whatever that's kind of self-limiting to people's imaginations it, it it pens them into that um but not for me and not for a lot of other people what they want is just a a high quality solution with great maps the ability to immerse yourself in it you end up playing with a virtual tabletop you end up playing a role-playing game in real time with friends but it comes across like you're playing a computer game with friends like a co-op game um and so i don't have this type of resistance to it um and i'm i want to see more um, but i don't get to play that much so if anybody wants to invite me to a virtual tabletop game of DD or Pathfinder or pretty much anything, um, get in touch, send an email. <laughs> um, I, I dig that stuff. I used to play all the time, but 
um, got pulled away. So they've got a bunch of, they talk about other things like Roll20 is another virtual tabletop, Foundry is another virtual tabletop. Um, but one D&D, I don't think is going to get that much um, attention from the diehards that uh, got slapped by what they did with their um, open gaming license. Um, they've moved on, I think, and they're going to use something like Roll20 um, or uh, whatchamacallit. Well, yeah, the Foundry. timing's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder if the company is trying to, I don't know, hold on to people or or get people back, but it seems like it's the timing is just way off. Yeah, I'm going to have to take a look and then we can talk about it more. I, I just think that uh, their reputation is in the trash right now and they're going to have to give a lot to a whole lot of people to buy back their soul um, and good luck with that. So, But I'll be watching, eating popcorn. Um, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Let me throw that URL in chat. An Israeli man spent 50 years carving an underground home into a cliff, and now the government wants to evict him. Let's take a look inside. Um, okay, now were they watching him for, say, 49 years and then said, hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, Amanda Goh is the author of the article over at businessinsider.com. Now, you know, I don't know what to expect from this, but if a person is... I don't know what the nature of the ownership is. Um, and if they're out in the sticks somewhere and nobody even knows that they're existing there and literally nobody knows, not that they're being ignored, but that nobody knows. And then they come knocking because there's something there that they want. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Um, so it says Nissim colon. Um, spent 50 years carving a house out of sound, sandstone cliffs in uh, Herzliya, Israel. Filled his home with recycled items, including old bottles and tiles. Now the government wants to evict him because his illegal house threatens the coastline. Wow, that's pretty expansive. I guess, I suppose it's all of this all the way down. I'm not sure. Right, that looks like a compound, not a house. Yeah, sprawling that's cave. that's all included. Yeah, over a period of 50 years, chiseled a sprawling cave home out of sandstone cliffs. Um, almost like a labyrinth. I don't know. Somebody wants something there, and suddenly it became important. Right, so let's see if they say anything. The sprawling complex is made from and filled with recycled materials. House has textured walls, curved ceilings, as well as narrow arched doorways that barely allow Colin to pass through. Yeah, but it's, but he can. <laughs> the structure seems archaic. It has a plumbing system and a phone line. Many rooms are powered by electricity per the AP news. So that's interesting because, I mean, is that provided by the city or? Yeah, is it legitimately uh, installed? Right. Um, let's see. The Hermit House is located just off the Herzliya. 
I don't know how to pronounce that. Patuak area, a wealthy beachfront district known for its hotels and luxury villas. So if it's just outside that, there you go. Um, somebody caught wind that it's there and they don't like the optics of it. Right. They don't, they think it's an eyesore and, or they want to develop the property. Yeah. Not in my backyard kind of thing. I don't know. Look at that, man. I mean, that to me, I like that kind of style, you know, it's kind of eclectic and uh, chaotic, but it still has some continuity. Um, it looks kind of hobbit like to me. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. <laughs> like it's appealing because of that. Yeah. Worked here for 50 years with no salary. What did I do? Did I murder, steal, rape? No. This house is a museum. They should give me a prize, <laughs> Colin says uh, to New Lines magazine. Yeah. Instead of encouraging me, they're denigrating me. Uh, Colin says it's K A H L O N. So I mispronounced it as Colin, but it's Colin. K A H L O N. Um, Colin's adamant that he's not in the wrong because the local authorities hooked his cave up to electric grid years ago. This is, uh, what you call it? Adverse possession. Is that it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that exists in Israel, but, um, yep. he's been there and they had knowledge of him for 50 years. Right. And they didn't, um, push, they him didn't out, evict so. him. Yeah. Guess what? He probably owns it now. Again, I don't know what the there you go. Israel, he even but... says it. If they had come for, to me thirty to forty years ago and said you're illegal, leave, I would have left. But now, where do I go? He says he can't walk. How much longer does he have? Yeah, leave him alone. <laughs> I mean, it's out in the sticks. It's out on the far edge of it. It says that it threatens the coastline. Well, then the coastline can recover it because I guarantee you humans do more damage to the coastline than this one thing sitting here. I was going to say the coastline uh, uh, damages or hinders it because it said that the exterior was destroyed twice. Yep. Yeah, if uh, nature wants it, it'll come and get it. <laughs> and he's probably sitting there going, come and get it. <laughs> I won't run. Um, okay, let's keep going. We only have two more articles. This next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Disney's pulling back on making Marvel and Star Wars content, Iger says. Disney CEO Bob Iger said uh, Thursday on CNBC that the company will cut back on its content creation for major franchises, Marvel and Star Wars. Um, this is something that I had heard about um, and then found here in Ometown. Um Basically, Iger has said that, um, oh, there it is right there. Diluted focus and attention because they've released so much so fast. Um, and uh, the article's over at CNBC.com written by Lillian Rizzo. And let me just say that I really hate this because, you know, time is always marching on. And I want to enjoy as much of these stories and world building as I possibly can. And when you turn it, turn it into a, a business model, like what they do with processors, um, where it became a, a business model to release a doubling of transistors every two years, 
that became a business model, right? Not not just uh, an estimate, but a, a business model. And then certain companies like turned it on its head, like Apple and with the M2, M1, um, really just blew past that marker with a technological innovation, um, whereas others treated it as a, um, a, a business model. Um, I think I've said business model like 15 times now. Um, yeah, did, have I said business model? Well, now he's going to be putting the brakes on it, which means that I don't get to enjoy as much Marvel and uh, Star Wars um, franchise world building, universe building. Uh, and I really do like cinematic universe stuff um, because I'm not going to well, be reading comics. It but. seemed like they were both having their heyday. I mean, there was so much content out and it was a good thing. And I think it was getting people excited about the next show. So it seems like an odd time to pull back, at least from viewership. But Well, the thing is that you can't draw out the long tail of subscription if you flood the market with content and everybody's enjoying it, the value is tremendous for your whatever, $15 or $5 or whatever it is um, at the time. So what they end up doing is just putting the pump in the brakes on it. You have to get inferior content. You're still paying the juice because you want to squeeze so that you can enjoy whatever is released. But now you're going to get a little bit less because mergers and acquisitions, you know, they're always positive. And when you acquire a bunch of properties, they don't pay for themselves. You have to squeeze the customer a little bit. Um, so you spend less. People don't walk away from the subscription because they want the content. It may be less, but they want the content. So the ratio is going to change. You're going to be spending a year's worth of subscription, but you're only going to get two months of real content because it's going to get dripped out over a longer period of time. Um, so it says Disney is slowing down when it comes to making movies and TV series for its Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm franchises. CEO Bob Iger said Thursday on CNBC. Um, the move comes as the company is looking to cut costs during a time when its recent films from Marvel to animation have underwhelmed at the box office. And to sit there and <laughs> intimate that it's because they flooded the market is BS. <laughs> um, it, it has nothing to do with flooding the market because people will still spend to watch enjoyable content. If they go to a movie theater or if they purchase it at home, the subscription though, is the, is the juice that they keep squeezing from the customer. And so draw it out a little bit further, slow it all down, drip it out. It used to be that, uh, shows would pop all at once. You'd get 10 to 15 uh, episodes. And now they've reverted to the TV model where it's once a week. Why? Because it's more cost effective to drip it out each week than it is to well, plop. Keeps you subscribing longer, right? Yeah, because then you don't sit there and binge an entire series in a weekend and then bow out for the remainder of the year until Vera comes back. <clears throat> Never mind. Or Lincoln Lawyer. Or Lincoln Lawyer. Um. So earlier this year, Iger had said that the company needed to 
to assess how many sequels each character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe would spur or should spur. And it was time to explore newness for the brand. He added that there is nothing in any way inherently off in terms of the Marvel brand at an investor uh, conference. Um, yeah. Uh, that's my take on it. What's yours? What? N not necessarily you, AI, but like um, if you're in chat and you're um, a Marvel fan or a Disney fan or a, um, a Star Wars fan, how do you feel about this? Um, you either watch it when it pops on the big screen or you wait for it to drip out into Disney plus, um, or, you know, some other subscription service. How do y'all feel about that? I don't know. I think it sucks. Um, but you know, I'm not 18 years old and I have 40 years worth, 50 years worth, 60 years worth of world building in front of me. At some point, my glasses are going <laughs> to, they're going to catch so much light that they just burn a hole through my head. <laughs> like a Marvel superhero, right? Cyclops. Never mind. That's inside baseball. Um, okay. Well, anyway, the company bought Lucasfilm in 2012 for $4 billion and recouped its investment in just six years after the lucrative new trilogy of films, along with standalone films like Rogue One. Yep. Mergers and acquisitions, baby. It, it, if this would have been out on its own and not acquired, then it would have been offering up movies and series and so on and having to fight for its own life. And so we would get something separate from what Disney is offering. And it wouldn't be a unilateral decision by Disney to say, uh, Marvel movies and star Wars movies are going to get the brakes applied. It would have been Lucasfilm says, we need to pump out another movie because otherwise we'll implode Marvel, the same thing. And they, they might sell it to somebody, um, or they would distribute it themselves, but Hey, you just can't stop business from moving forward. Right. All right. I mean, it's all about the dollars, I suppose. It usually is. And again, I, I'm a capitalist. I have no problem with it. What I have a problem with is the fact that it, mergers and acquisitions really do take away from the, the customer. It, it no, you don't get as much diversity in what is offered. You don't get a lower cost. You don't get higher quality. Why? Because it's one company providing everything that a person wants. And so what gives them the impetus to actually give more a superior product does not evolve when you kill off the competition that's just how it is though so i hope that Iger sees the light and the force is with us the, the customer see what i did there star wars i did yeah Anyway, the title of this section, I think I put it is, this is not marvelous. 
All right, I'll move on. Uh, this last article is over in Hometown Daily. A famed architect designed a futuristic, fully recyclable concrete bunker to house people who have been displaced. And we're going to take a look inside. Um, I love this kind of stuff. Uh, primarily, well, primarily because it's a concrete bunker and um, I like being able to be as loud as I want inside my home and, and play music as loud as I want and not disturb my neighbors. And I also don't want my neighbors to disturb me because they are, you know, blasting music and having a good time. I, you know, I, and they didn't invite me and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, the, the, uh, <laughs> that kind of made me chuckle inside. Um, the article is over in hometown daily and it's, um, wholesome and the Norman foster foundations, essential homes research project was built using materials like rollable concrete and recycled materials. Let's just go over to the source of this because, um, I actually saw this picture when I loaded it up, uh, Brittany Chang over at businessinsider.com put it all together and, uh, I dig this. <laughs> Uh, the walls aren't as thick as I want them to be, um, but it doesn't have the same fatal flaw that all uh, timber framed houses have, which is even with hurricane straps, the roof gets lifted off, the walls fall over and your house is gone. So this thing is heavy duty um, concrete solid foundation. There isn't anything that can lift off. The whole damn thing would have to go flying. That may not happen, but, um, it's, I think it's well positioned to be a defendable position from nature. Um, the home was built using materials like rollable, low carbon concrete and uh, recycled materials. If you don't know about concrete, it actually is pretty bad for, um, well, the world gives off a lot of CO2. Uh, I guess this is a low carbon variety. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, when it's no longer needed, the materials can be reused or recycled. Yeah, I like this kind of stuff. Pardon me one second. Yeah, you should probably be talking while I'm coughing. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I've jotted that down. <laughs> Uh, several startups have developed shelters for unhoused people from prefab tiny home communities to 3d printed units. These solutions flex both creativity and current construction technology, but wholesome and the Norman Foster uh, foundation have forged a different approach. They combine the brain power of famed architect with a building power of a sustainable construction company to create a sleek, eco-friendly concrete bunker with the power to shelter people long-term. Um, and we've actually talked about these kind of buildings before these 3d printed or kind of mass produced tiny homes. Um, I've always been a proponent of tiny homes. Um, you can put more in a smaller, um, temporary, but semi-permanent, they, you know, a temporary to permanent situation where you have a large swath of land, you teach people how to live in these tiny homes. They have an actual residence. 
Um, and it's a stepping stone to returning to, you know, the, the standard process of going and you now have a residence, you can go and apply for jobs, you can go to school, you can be retooled um, for a position. So it says you'll likely recognize famed architect Norman Foster's work, even if you aren't in uh, the architecture or design industry. Um, stylish, but um, unique. Simple. This actually looks like it's segmented. I don't know if it really is. Um, set out to create a home that could safely and comfortably house people who have been displaced long term. I guess you just roll it out and attach each one of the little segments kind of because it looks like corrugated cardboard um but it's cement it does have some uh, wood interior for framing i suppose uh, the turtle shell shaped dome is comprised of materials like sheets of rollable concrete low carbon concrete efficient in, um, insulation and recycled construction demolition materials according to its builders um that's obviously just a um, piece of artwork there but that isn't um it looks like it is temporary to long-term housing it's a tiny home I kind of dig it. It's the same approach that the University of Maine's Advanced Structures and Composite Center took with its first 3D printed tiny home built with encapsulated wood waste from sawmills. <clears throat> That's pretty cool stuff. I dig this by creating. Yeah, I wonder if they would use this in more temporary settings, like after a natural disaster. Yeah, I can imagine that's exactly what they would be doing. The the only a uh, problem that I see with this is that the interior elements look like they need a lot of hand holding. This isn't just, this isn't mass produced. This isn't flat pack, you know, right to do this temporary to long-term temporary housing, um, and not suffer from, uh, you know, timber framing houses, um, and still keep it low cost. All of this stuff would have to be what amounts to flat pack, easily constructed, no, uh, you know, no table saw needed, no, um, heavy duty equipment needed. You basically just roll this thing up and, uh, put it to work. And, um, that's not, this does not look like it's just set it up and go. So, but that's why I like 3d printed houses. You just set that printer up. It starts printing. There's two people instead of 30 people that are framing the house, um, with some supports for windows, the tops of windows and, and door frames and doing a few plumbing things and uh, gas and stuff like that. And it's. It is there until you want to destroy it. Um, nothing's going anywhere. And then you can bring in furniture, but this looks like the furniture itself is part of the framing and internal support. Um, and I don't think that that really works, um, at least from my perspective, because looking at this, you know, these are actually rooms, niches and whatnot that are inside that framing. If you're listening to this via the podcast, I wish I could 
just imagine it looks kind of like an omelet <laughs> um and uh and then there's rooms on the inside of the little arch of an omelet you know how a, a standard french omelet is kind of puffy in the middle um and then gets thinner onto the sides but it's thicker in the middle right um just imagine rooms being in that middle part and it's framed that looks like it's all you know um you know, four by eight four foot by eight foot sheets of plywood and then or composite wood and cut in place there at the site that's too much heavy lifting this stuff needs to get out and operational fast and i don't see that happening but i'm not actually doing it so i'd have to look to see um well and it also has like a i mean with this architect level it almost seems like it's somewhat more for the aesthetic than the functional aspect the, of um, function or efficiency i mean there's certainly good features with the low carbon footprint etc yeah. rollable concrete i think is a beautiful idea um but the internal workings needs to be streamlined to something that's kind of um just set it and forget it kind of a thing uh, the company aimed at uh, bringing 3d printing construction tech to africa is now using 3d printers to build 52 communities 52 home community in kenya um, and that's what's up here um, and this is the kind of construction that i would really appreciate is that 3d printed um, here in the states it would probably have to be at least two stories um, that's kind of like the standard fare um, here in the states which is the upstairs is standard living and then down below is or sorry like sleeping is up above and then day-to-day -day stuff is um, down below um, but they're starting at 600 square feet and about 27,660 bucks which actually seems pretty expensive um, for uh, a 3d printed house that's only 600 square feet in Kenya I don't know yeah, that does seem high yeah um okay well that's it we'll we'll keep on talking about this kind of stuff like all the rest of the things that we've talked about today uh, we always monitor it and then we uh, periodically bring stuff back um, so i hope you enjoyed the show um, like usual we go back to the very front page of ohm town the welcome sign mash that button it refreshes and then we parse it um, just the front page, just to see if there's anything interesting to um, talk about for tomorrow right off of that front page. Comic-Con 2023 schedule shrinks as Dune Part 2 and others are canceled due to SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that tomorrow. That really sucks. Dune Part 2 has been canceled due to SAG-AFTRA. Yeah, that... No, wait a second. That's at Comic-Con. Which is crummy, but that's not the same as the... I thought you meant, like, the films. The launch, right. No, the launch is yeah. done. Right. So they're not even going to do panels. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I guess that's that part crummy. of the promotion. So, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. It's part of the promotion, so... Wow, Okay. 400 episodes and thriving comic-con if nobody can promote anything there's uh 
there's a, a an interesting one, the Flophouse. Um, this is something that I've um, watched. It's a podcast called The Flophouse. It it talks about bad movies, um, and um, I think it's over on Maximum Fun. I'm not sure. Don't hold me to that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a popular podcast, and only 400 episodes. We're close to 600. Um, but we don't go in depth in any one particular topic. So, um, Flophouse focuses on movies. I guess I should focus, right? If I want to make a living out of this, um, I need to focus. Is that it? I suppose so. Yeah. I have a hard time focusing on anything. Uh, like I said, I love change. I like a dynamic uh, environment. And that's why I've got hundreds of news sources that I parse every day. Let's see what else. Anything really interesting that's. Um, well, there's something about the. Um, I don't see it on there, but it was the McDonald's tomato shortage. Uh, oh, there it is. I was looking at the. Um, From Indian the menus? Separately. Yeah, like they're having a massive tomato shortage. No, oh, really? And wow. the fact that mcdonald's can't even get tomatoes is kind of a bad sign since they're such a major corporation what the hell man it's like one th one shortage after another Ugh. let's see if there's anything else <laughs> can barbie be the new iron man in a mattel universe where's that okay, that's kind of funny yeah, uh, we'll down there at the bottom oh oh there it is yeah yeah we'll keep that yeah let's do that if you're in chat and you see an article that you like, um, either send me a message in uh, uh, Twitch, so just whisper it to me, um, or send me an email, mayor at hometown.com. I get that and um, I will uh, include it. If it fits um, and if it's a new source outside of hometown, like you you think that it would be a, a, a benefit to hometown, then send that um source to us and um i'll parse it um but we may already have something um already in place it just doesn't necessarily provide a lot of news um yeah uh, that's it from the front page man's brain gets fried after suffering massive burns in phoenix heat wave jeez what is going on well i know apocalypse yeah um it was it was so hot um that i was out in the sun uh in hometown um and um the sun was just pounding down and and you have to stay hydrated and you have to cover up otherwise um you, you pay the price <laughs> it was it was a nightmare um trying to do work i thought that it was going to be really fast and I just pushed it too far um, in the sun. It was already, I think it was something like 96 or something like that. Um, and I did it just spur of the moment, trying to get it done really fast. And it just drained all of my energy. It was horrible. Anyway, um, that's it for tonight, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show. I am Mayor Watt without any backlighting other than that stuff right there. I'm supposed to have two other lights, but anyway, I should just move on, right? This I'm is like After Dark or something. Hometown <laughs> yeah, After Dark. That actually was one of the shows that I was spinning up. 
Uh, I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. And that's the AI that reminds me that I should probably just say good night. So good night, folks. You want to say good night too? Sure. Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.